Blog Talk Radio. Black Politics Today. An eye for what's at stake in global politics. And your source for the social, economic, and political impact of public policy on the African American community. Your host, Kelly Michael Williams, is a political strategy veteran with an undefeated campaign record and the political experience that spans 20 years, from Mayor Willie Brown in California to President Bill Clinton in our nation's capital. So get ready for a fresh and honest approach on the politics that affect you and your family the most. Now, your host, Kelly Michael Williams. Well, hello, everyone. Good evening. I'm glad to be joining you this evening for another great show that we're looking at anticipating having. As always, I want to thank you all for listening in on the web and calling in. Thank you for taking the time out of your time, your schedule to join me and share with me just things that uh, are going on across the country regarding various issues, various uh, things that are happening that are affecting us as African Americans and the country as a whole. But as we all know, there are certain things that uh, occur that uh, typically affect us greater than it does the mainstream America, or at least we seem to have a, a, a the effects seem to hit us a little bit harder. Health issues, uh, job issues, uh, housing, all the things, crime. There, everything that, that goes on naturally in America, in this country, and across the world um, are fine. But it always seems that it affects African Americans a, a little more or, or harder uh, in terms of, of the results of, of the actions. When you look at unemployment rate, unemployment rate can be, you know, it's at 7%. But for African-Americans, it's almost double. It's 14%, or it is double. When you look at, uh, you know, death rates in terms of heart disease or diabetes, cancer, African-Americans are always at that higher end of the scale. When you look at foreclosures uh, in homes, yet again, African-Americans are at the higher end. Um, even when you look at salaries and income, you know, there, we're not at the higher end, we're at the lower end, uh, but we're at the opposite end of the spectrum uh, in, in most cases. And unfortunately, um, that reads into, I think, sometimes the mentality and the reaction and responses that we have uh, when it comes down to, to, you know, actually fighting and doing things or trying to make a change um, that can ultimately, you know, help us to progress. I think sometimes uh, when you've been in that state uh, or that mindset for so long, it will uh, cause you to ultimately believe uh, your existence and the reality of, of what you see, as opposed to believing truly what God has already told you is that you can do anything. Earlier today, um, 
and, and just a sidebar, earlier today I, I, was, I was watching a video clip, uh, a YouTube video clip that a colleague of mine had, and it was about a young man, I believe he was 13 or 14 years old, teenager, uh, out of Sacramento, California, and, and many of you can probably go to YouTube and, and see this clip. And it was astounding to me. It was just amazing. And it, and it really touched me to to really appreciate and enjoy what I do and what this talk show is all about. This young man, 14 years old, lost his sight at the age of uh, two or three. His mother um, saw like a cat's eye on him. It was like a glass, you know, his, his eye was, was gleaming in the light like a cat would when you would, uh, like if you shine your headlights on the cat. And she said she saw this gleaming in his eye and, and she was like, oh, what is that? You know, what's, what's, what, what could that be? And then the, uh, two days later, um, that cat eye, or eyes, because there's both eyes, turned white. It was his pupil. So his pupil initially looked like a cat's eye, but then it turned white, and he had lost his eye. He had a rare disease. And um, if that disease had not been caught, it would have, he could have died from it. I, I don't recall the name of the disease, um, but it's a very rare disease that, well, actually, it will start in the eyes and it can actually travel throughout the body and ultimately kill you. So this disease that it was took his eyesight. Well, as many of you know, and as many of you have friends or, or, or relatives, when they lose their sight, there's other avenues or what they will use to get around. They will use a, a stick or a walking um, a cane, or they'll get a CNI dog, or someone will assist them and help them around. Well, this little boy didn't do that. This little boy tapped into what all of us have, and many of us never use. And he tapped into the uniqueness, the awesomeness, and the powerfulness of who we are as human beings. He tapped into what God created and recognized and realized that there was other ways for him to be able to see and function and understand. And I and and, and I want you guys who are listening, you know, to the show tonight. You, you have to go to YouTube, and I believe if you type in. Uh, Blind boy who sees, or or, or blind boy um, with vision. I, I think it'll come up. I, I don't remember what the, the 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 code was or anything. Like I said, it was a colleague of mine who had it, and uh, I was able to um, to uh, uh, pull it up. I mean, she was watching it, and I I was watching it with her. But this young man, as I said, tapped into what the uniqueness of our bodies are. And I want you to take a moment and just think about our bodies and how God made our bodies and what he did and how when we get sick, our blood cells and our immune system attack 
the virus and do different things and how we break our leg, it mends itself. We cut our hair, it grows back. We cut ourselves, it heals. Different things that happen to us have a mechanism that will ultimately cover up, heal, or or, or provide a, a, uh, a remedy, if you will, for that thing that, that there is. What this young man did was he tapped into his senses and his sensory. Something that we as kids would play with, but as this child did, he may have played with it, but he perfected it. I remember as a kid walking around and pretending I couldn't see and trying to walk around and not bump into things. Or I remember trying to hold my breath for a long time or try to keep your eyes open and not blink. This kid has taught himself how to see simply by his sensors. He can walk around his home without bumping into things, not by someone telling him where those things are. And I want you to understand that. No one told him where things were. And remember, he was two or three years old when he lost his sight. So even if he had seen them before, by that time he was certainly forgotten where things were. But what he said was, as he walks past things, he can hear them. And ultimately, through his hearing, he can then see them in his mind and know that's the couch, that's the table, that's the TV. He's taught himself how to ride a bike down the street that he lives on by the sensors. Now, he doesn't race the bike. He rides the bike so that he can hear what the wind and the sounds are bouncing off objects. And if many of you know, sensors, you can, by wind and different things, your voice bounces off a window or wall, air, different things happen. And this young man, as a result of him tapping into what God gave him, has been able to master this. And he's written a book about it. He watches TV and plays video games. Now, he may not see what's on that TV, but he watches it, and he sees what happens, and he understands what happens. And when I saw this video clip, I was, I, I was overwhelmed by his tenacity, his endurance, his never-give-up spirit. And his mother said that she had told him and taught him something I wish we would always do more than just doing lip service, is she told him he could do anything and accomplish anything. And at 14, he has. Doctors are amazed at what he's been able to do. There are so many doctors around, they, they, they don't even understand how it's even possible for him to be able to see and, and do what he's been able to do. And it is just amazing to me how if we would simply tap into that inner spirit that we have 
and tap into that gift that God has given us to not just see or, or believe in ourselves, but believe in him and what he can do because he created this body. He created us in the first place. So if he then allows us to become blind as he did this 14-year-old, would we not think that he would then do something to assist him in being able to see and understand and be able to visualize what's going on? Even if he can't visualize it with his eyes, he can visualize it with his mind because that that we visualize in our mind is ultimately that that we can actually produce outside of our mind. Because we talk about write the vision and make it plain. Well, if you write that vision down and it's plain to you, you can ultimately achieve it. And it's ultimately something you can do. And that is something that is just profound to me. Because when I look at today's show and what we're going to talk about, there was something that struck me this afternoon or, or, or uh, earlier today that I read because we're going to touch on some minimum wage. We're going to touch on uh, the food stamp program, uh, SNAP, that is now um, uh, a big issue in, in Congress. And, and we're going to touch, in, touch on uh, uh, housing and, and, and some things, and, and, and we're going to try to get to it all because there are a few things that are just like really – uh, something that I want to talk about, and and that first thing is the is the uh, minimum wage and SNAP program, because uh, and SNAP is it stands for the food stamp program. Uh, that is something that just really um, is one of those areas where I'm just like, hmm, wow, how you you have certain feelings about it, and, and you're not sure what you feel, but uh, there's there's times when you want to support those things, and there's other times when you don't want to support them. And right now, I'm having kind of mixed feelings about it. Now, in terms of the minimum wage, I, that's that's not an issue. The country is, is, is moving forward. The country is progressing. Uh, the economy has returned slowly but it's returning, um, and as a result of that, I believe that we need to increase our minimum wage. Uh, Washington State has done it. California's done it. The district did it today. Um, various jurisdictions have increased their minimum wage. Prince George's County, Montgomery County, uh, they've all increased their minimum wage. Even though that minimum wage is, as, as Prince George's County and the district did, is 11.50 today, I think California is at thirteen fifty. Um, places like that, New York, that's still not enough money. Let's be real. I mean, you're 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 still only talking about uh, twenty six to twenty seven thousand dollars a year um, at best, and that's if you work every day, all day, and never have any sick days. Um, because especially if you if you work for companies that don't pay you sick time or, or give you vacation, um, you know, you're, you're still barely making it, and certainly you can't um, live in the district uh, on that uh, comfortably, uh, you, you need some supplemental income. And so those two things sort of go hand in hand, this minimum wage deal and the food stamp snap kind of go hand in hand. And, and, I, and I wanted to touch on that because businesses are always saying, well, if we raise the minimum wage, and Congress is doing this right now, Congress and Republicans are saying, we can't raise the minimum wage, it's going to 
you know, it's going to uh, cost small businesses greatly, and they're not going to be able to afford to pay, and they're not going to be able to afford to do anything. Do, do many of you realize that um, uh, Northrop Grumman is a small business, technically, by the, 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 the code standards, and, and Halliburton is a small business, and, and uh, you know, big companies like that are considered small businesses. Is that, is that, you know, do people realize that? Because depending on how they're identified, if they're a manufacturing company, if they're a services company, or, or whatever the case may be, their small business category is either by income or by number of employees. And a lot of those companies, the Halliburton's, the Northrop Grumman's, and things of that nature, they're by number of employees. So if they have 500 or less employees, because they're considered manufacturing or, or, or industry or, or, you know, products and services, then they will be considered a small business because they have less than 500 employees. But they can do $15 billion a year in revenue, and they're considered a small business. And Congress and, and members uh, uh, of the Republican Party are saying, oh, no, paying them $15 an hour is just – too much, that's going to hurt them. That's going to hurt business. I doubt that very seriously. I, I doubt that very seriously that Halliburton, Northrop Grumman, any of those companies, Northrop Grumman right there out in McLean, Virginia, by the way, is, is going to have any effect on their billions of dollars, especially since those contracts that they have are coming from the government that they want to make sure they keep. And so that transition of minimum wage to this food step program. Yesterday's Washington Post had an article in it regarding the food stamp program and the cuts that are being made by the federal government. Federal government cut and wants to cut nearly $40 billion out of the food stamp program. Now, originally when I heard this, I was up in arms, I think, like most people were, because we thought about a lot of those are seniors, a lot of those are veterans, a lot of those are people who now, because of the recession, previously had lost their job and, and, and were trying to make it and barely make it. And then a lot of those were, you know, single moms, single dads, you know, uh, people who were uh, disabled, sick, things of that nature. And the original budget was $4.1 billion for SNAP. That budget has now increased to 40, excuse me, that budget has now increased to um, 72 billion since 2007. That's a lot of money. Now, I do not, and, I, and I, I'll make it clear, I am not advocating that we kick everybody off food stamps because it is necessary and people need it. Just 2013, eight short years ago maybe, I think it was, 2004, 2005, 2005, so six, six, seven years, yeah, eight years ago, I had to go on food stamps. I had to re receive food stamps because there was a time when I had no job and didn't have any income, 
and I had a child to support. And the funny thing about it was I hadn't even thought about food stamps. I was trying to make it the best way I could. Uh, you know, different people were helping me out, and it wasn't until someone said to me, why don't you go and get some food stamps so you can feed your son, did I actually dawn on you? And even then, I think it took me probably about another week or two weeks to go over there because I felt so ashamed and so bad that I had to go over there and get it because I had a gainful employment. You know, I had a, a great job and I lost the job. Then I lost my home. And I was like, wow, but I'm still driving a car. So am I really allowed to go get food stamps? I didn't know what the process was. I didn't know who should be on them and who shouldn't be on them. So I'm sensitive to this, and yet I'm um, I, I'm sensitive to it. But even yet, I have an opinion about how it should work or how we should try to help those on it to get off. Because I, I can tell you, I recognize that. <clears throat> When it was time for me to get off and when, it, when, I, when I got a job and was trying to move ahead and, and do some things, I wasn't making a whole lot and I was concerned and I was scared to say, oh, God, what's going to happen? So I, you know, I, I, I tried to make ends meet. And so I, I went in and I told him I no longer need the food stamps. And uh, uh, I, you know, gave him my name, information, whatever I need to do. I, I don't recall everything. And, uh, and then I just, you know, went to buying my own food and, and doing my, my own job. But I read this yesterday morning, uh, this morning, uh, about a young lady, and um, she's 41. She has five kids. She actually has six, but only five live with her. She's on food stamps. And she was concerned about the fact that they were being cut. She lives for the eighth of the month because the eighth of the month is when the food stamp distribution comes out. And her philosophy is, well, even though I am poor, I don't have to look poor. Now, I agree with that. But at the same time, it's it's one of those things where I recognize that your self-esteem and, and what it is that you need to get by is truly how you feel about yourself. Because how you feel about yourself is going to determine whether or not you're able to to do the things that you need to do, especially go out there and look for a job and, and go out there and, and, and find gainful employment, interview and things of that nature. But what struck me was she didn't have a job. She wasn't looking for a job. And because her food stamps got cut, she had her daughter apply for food stamps so that they can combine them and eat. Now, even that part, I mean, I'm sort of stuck in the middle about because, again, having been there, I understand it. But the other piece of that is five kids had a job, stopped working, quit her job, took her back on food stamps. That piece I have a problem with. And I'm not going to say it's the minimum wage that caused her to do that because Understandably, we've all worked for minimum wage probably at some point in time or another. May have been in our teens and may have been in our early 20s in college, but at some point in time, we've all worked for minimum wage. 
And I have to tell you, there was a point in time in my life when I worked um, making great money, lost a job, um, and then I had to go work for minimum wage. And I will honestly tell you, the stress and pressure that I had when I had a great income, I didn't have when I made minimum wage because I knew that I couldn't go and do all the things I was doing, but I had the most fun at that retail store that I worked in. It was a starter store um, like Nike and, and, and Reeboks and things like that. It was called Starter. It was in California, and I worked there uh, for about six or eight months. Uh, I don't remember how long it was before I got another job. But it was, a, it was the most fun I had because I was at peace at the fact that, look, you know what? I can't pay this. I can't do that. So I called on my creditors, and I told them, I'm going to send you a dollar a month. That's all I can send you because I'm making $5 an hour. And after that, I, I didn't worry about it. But when I read this article and she said that she had a job, she was working, but she quit her job because she was getting more from the food stamps and public assistance than she was making her, you know, with her job. I kind of went back and forth with this because I was kind of like, "Mm, well, I get it, but at the same time, stick with it. She wanted to take the easy way out. That young man who was blind didn't take the easy way out, struggled through what he needed to come up with in order to get what he needed to do. And her children are ages 11 to 22. 11 to 22, now, I got an 11-year-old, so I understand. Um, but the thing was that, and I, and I admire the daughter in this case, because the daughter said, you know what, I'll do this, but I'm not doing this for me because I really don't want to get caught up like that. I don't want to be a part of this system that's going to keep me bound. And, in fact, the daughter says that, that she's tried to improve her job prospects by attending healthcare training programs, which she calls medical school, and, and uh, seminars on Microsoft Word and computer de- uh, development. And, actually, she worked through a temp agency, and she, you know, is, was working through the temp agency, but she's no longer working with them. But she said, you know what, I'm not, I'm not trying to go this route. I'm not trying to go this route. And I'm saying that because the reality is, is that the mother of these five kids is, as she says, I believe, a third-generation food stamp public assistant recipient. And that's the part that bothers me. That right there is where I'm like, okay, if your grandmother was on food stamps and public assistance and your mother was on food stamps and public assistance, at some point in time, something should have said to you, I am not going to be on food stamps and public assistance. But they didn't say that to her. In fact, it said, let me get on it. And now that it's being cut, it's like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I can't survive. Well, hell, you've been on it for three decades. Come on now. 
That piece I have a problem with because that tells me the fear factor of not willing to try. It's easier for you to sit back and do nothing than to try. The daughter was like, no, it's not going to be a fourth generation. I'm not having it. In fact, she says that she doesn't even want the card to buy the food stamps. So she gave it to her mother because she didn't want to hold on to it. She didn't want to be part of it. But the mother was saying that, you know, hey, well, it's hard out here and we just make it. And she has a very defeated attitude, which is unfortunate. Um, but it's, it's like, what happens? What happens when you have that defeated attitude of not wanting to try? She's 40 years old, has six kids, five of them living with her. She has five different men fathered the six children. She's gone through the whole gamut of, you know, being evicted and and having to go through hard times. And, And I understand that and I get that. But my thing is when you have an opportunity, no matter how small, take it. Because for me, that's telling me that God is reaching out to you to give you that little push that you need to now stop depending and relying on yourself and start depending and relying on him. That little boy who was blind at three, at some point between age three and age 14, decided, I'm no longer going to depend on myself and in my own might and power, but I'm going to depend on that higher power, that God power, that inner sensory, uh, motor sensory uh, uh, um, characteristic that I have that's made up in me, and I'm going to rely on that. I applaud the daughter. Because the daughter is seeing and saying, I want to do better. I don't like this lifestyle or this living. And the mother talks about maybe going through some depression, and I've been there, and I understand that too. So with that, you have to stop allowing yourself to be caught in that, um, that state. So you get caught in that state when you decide that all you're going to do is sit at home or sit around, smoke your cigarettes, and wait for the eighth of the month. She talks about how she panics. You know, she, she, she goes to the different things that are available to her. They give out uh, food subsidies or, or, or like a food bank, and they give out food for three days. Then she goes to the next place and gets something else, and the next place and gets something else, and then she goes shopping and gets some food and to make it throughout the whole month. But then she talks about how Man, I got food for three days. I got this over here, but now I got 17 more days before the eighth arrives again. And that says to me, okay, so 
if you go get a job and if they're paying you minimum wage and, and you know, like I said, different jurisdictions are raising the minimum wage, some of that subsidy would be cut down. I agree. But then at least you have that self-esteem, that self-value, that self-worth that you need to, to, to counteract that depressive state and that depression that you're going through to then be able to show your children an example. And my issue is the fact that, okay, well, her grandmother was there and her mother was there. So she saw that. And then with her mother being there, she went there. And she became that. And now her five kids are living and seeing the same thing she saw. So what are they going to become? And what a lot of people don't understand, especially those who are receiving public assistance, is that this government, Republican-controlled and Democratically-controlled, let me be real and clear, the money for these type of social programs is no longer going to be there. They are going to continue to cut and cut and cut and cut. And eventually, it's going to be where there is nothing left. You're going to have to do something. But my advice and my encouragement to you is, if nothing else, why are you sitting at home? Go back to school. Go to school online. Get a degree. Get an associate's degree. Get a bachelor's degree. Get a master's degree. And then be able to use that to leverage yourself. Now, granted, I understand jobs out there. People got master's degrees and they work at McDonald's. I get that. I understand that. But it's a process of being able to do something that will give you that self-esteem and that realization of being able to do something takes you out of that depressive state and takes you out of that mindset of this is all I have. Because trust me, when I went through my little depression, when I lost my job, lost my home, and I was on, on, on food stamps and public assistance, it was, it, was, it, was, it was hurtful for me. It was embarrassing for me. It was gut-riching. I, it was, it, you know, I was embarrassed going to the grocery store to buy the groceries and swipe that card because I knew everybody knew what that card was. Because for me, I, I, I shouldn't have been there. I should have done better. I should have been better. I should have done something. And even though I could not do anything or, or even though, you know, I tried, you know, I interviewed for hundreds of jobs and didn't get them, I was in the same position. I've been there. I understand it. But I didn't give up. And that's what I'm saying. Don't give up. If you know somebody who's there, if you are listening, you're there. Don't give up. Be that little boy. Watch that video clip and be that little boy who said, let me find another way to see. And I would say to this young lady and anyone else, brothers, sister, whoever you may be, family, find another way. If they won't hire you, start your own business. You're in the home, do daycare. If you if you have if you've worked somewhere before, see if they have some contracts to do that same job. Come up with another way. Don't allow yourself to be a victim of the system, even though you are a user and proponent in the system. 
Don't let this system cause you to be a third-generation public assistance recipient. Don't let any system that, that, that makes you dependent, any system that makes you dependent, make it a generational curse. Do not make it a generational curse. I recognize, and as I said in my interlude before, before we got on the subject, Things that happen in America seem to routinely, statistically, and verifiably affect African Americans worse. Whatever it is, it affects us worse. Now, why the Washington Post did this story and found this young lady the worst example that they could probably ever find to use. Six kids, five different fathers, unemployed, you know, living in a subsidized house and paying $130 a month. You know, use, you know, worked at different places, uh, worked as a, a home health aide, and, and then worked at RFK at night um, or, or did other things, you know, made her money but found out that her money because of the food that she had to buy took away from the gas bill, the electric bill, I'm sure the cable bill. So she couldn't work and take that money and buy that because she couldn't pay for the things she needed to pay for. So that was one of the reasons why she ended up quitting a job, getting disability because of arthritis and, and, and other um, other health ailments to where she's back on food stamps. Here again, issues, health issues affect us worse. Employment issues affect us worse. Subsidy issues affect us worse. Although we are not the majority on public assistance, we are the majority that's exploited about public assistance. And that exploitation is another area that I, I, I want to try to address in sense of saying, stop allowing ourselves to be the poster child for these programs that end up making us look like we are just... Um, uh, siphoning out the system because, quite frankly, why she would say that now she sent her daughter out to get food stamps and public assistance and her daughter lives with her in the house and they're doing everything. Now, all of it, I think, is legal. Maybe. I don't know. But it doesn't look good. And if it's not legal, Baby, you about to be off public assistance right now. They're going to stop your food stamps because now you're double dipping. So things like that, just they, they, they bother me because I want us to do and be so much better than what we think we are or are not. Because that little boy, age 14 years old, 
at some point in time said to himself, I am not going to settle for less. I am going to settle for more. And we have to encourage our people. We have to embrace them and encourage them. I went and checked my post office this morning. There's a gentleman in the, in the, in the lobby of the post office asked me if I had any change, and I told him I didn't have any change. And then as I walked down the stairs, I realized I didn't have any change, but I had actually put my dollar bills in my pocket where I normally keep them in a little wallet case that I had. And so the Lord reminded me, your money's in your pocket. So I turned around and I went back up and I gave him a dollar uh, and then just turned and walked out. Now, why am I saying that? I'm saying that because not because I gave him the dollar, but I'm saying that because there are times when we will come in contact with some people that we might need to turn around and speak or say something to them and speak life into them. And even though I didn't speak that life into him, I went on and did what I was supposed to do, which was give him, you know, the dollar that I gave him. And I said I was supposed to do that because... As the Bible says, those that you have fed and clothed, you've done unto me. So I didn't ask him what he was going to do with that money, but if it was in my spirit to give it to him, I needed to do that, and, and I wanted to do that. We have to then do the same thing, because when you look at trying to live in inner cities nowadays, especially cities like D.C., San Francisco, New York, Chicago, Philadelphia, um, Atlanta, major cities. Well, Atlanta is a different different uh, income area and bracket and, and cost of living. But if you look at the major uh, major cities where, where things are booming and going, D.C. just opened up a uh, what is called city center. City center, D.C. Seven hundred apartments last week opened up. It has a rooftop dog park. It has moss garden, moss garden, and the average monthly rent for a two-bedroom apartment. The average monthly rent for a two-bedroom apartment is $4,400 to $5,200 per month. I'm going to repeat that because you may not have heard it because I have on my earphones, and I don't know that I heard it. The city center downtown D.C. is on 9th Street to 8th Street and around. The average monthly rent, not mortgage, but rent, someone is paying rent there. They're not getting a tax write-off. They're not getting, you know, any, 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 uh, uh, Interest credits, they're not getting any of that. The average monthly rent is $4,400 to $5,200 a month. And the condominiums that are selling are $1.2 million to $1.5 million a piece. And 70% of them are sold. 70%.
1.2 to 1.5 million. Now, you tell me who's living in city center, D.C. If any of my listeners, if any of you guys are, are, are living down there or renting down there, please call me, 714-242-5143, and explain to me why you chose to live downtown and pay that kind of money. I don't have any problem with it if you can afford to do it. But my problem is who can afford to do it if we're just able to raise the minimum wage today and that minimum wage won't get to eleven fifty for three years. So it's at eight fifty now or eight twenty five, eight fifty. It'll go to nine in July and then ten and then eleven. So who is buying these one point two, one point five million dollar properties in downtown DC? And that's just one building that you recently opened up. There are numerous developments going on in the district as well as other parts of the country. But who's living in those places? Well, we have individuals like the woman I talked about on food stamps can't afford to get off of them but, and really can't afford to stay on them. She's stuck. She can't get off of them because she won't make enough to pay the bills. But she can't stay on them because they're cutting them every day. What is she going to do? Minimum wage, a living wage, food stamps, all of these things are areas where African Americans have to begin to look at things differently and see them with their eyes closed. That young man, and I wish I could got his name and remembered his name, that young man can see things differently because he took the time to get inside himself to want to see things differently. A few weeks ago, I did a show with Sue Malone about small business funding. And a number of you have called me, emailed me, and asked me, you know, about the show and about her and, and can you get in contact with her and, and a number of you I've, I've forwarded you their, her information or I've called her on your behalf but that's how you see things differently you take a chance you believe in what you have in your heart and you go out and do it I'm taking a chance right now talking to you I wanted to teach and educate African Americans in the political process and the political uh, uh, system, if you will, and, and basically talk about political, social, and economic issues that are affecting us and try to give some insight of my experience in campaigning and policy and in different areas um, 
to try to motivate and inspire others to not continue to sit on the sidelines but get involved, not continue to say them or they or or wait for somebody else to do something, but, but you get up and do it. There is so much out here for us that we are not tapping into that it just it just sometimes it just bothers me. Sometimes it's just a personal pet peeve of mine that I just I just wish we would instead of sitting back talking about Beyonce or Jay Z and I have nothing against Beyonce or Jay Z, but I don't need to talk about them. They got theirs. So so why should I, one, be envious of what they have, and two, be talking about them? I need to be talking about myself and what I'm going to be doing and what I'm going to get, where I'm going. Now, I can use them as, a, as a, a, a symbol of affluence of maybe where I want to aspire, but I don't care what she wears. I don't care what he wears. I don't care anything about that. Now, he's in the music business, so that's how he got his money, and that's what he wanted to do. I'm not in the music business, so I have to go in what I'm in or go in where my heart leads me. And the young lady that we were talking about who's on public assistance, maybe she can start her own business as a health care advocate or, or, or health care assistant. There are plenty of people who will need someone to come into their home to assist their loved ones, their mothers, their fathers, or or grandparents who are elderly, who may need some help or treatment or just need someone to sit with them. Start a business and get a contract with the city to do that. That's what I'm talking about. You already have the experience to do it because you were doing it. Go out there and start a business and continue to do it. Make a better life for your kids. The whole idea is not to get trapped in the cycle of the revolving wheel and like a hamster, all you're doing is running around in circles. Every one of us have always said, heard, or been told, you should do better than your parents did. You know, the idea is that your grandparents they did all they can to get your parents to school or college or whatever because they never went to school or college. And then they wanted their kids to go to college. And then your, your, your parents wanted you to go to college and do better. And that's what you should want for your kids. I know that's what I want for my son and daughter. And so I'm always talking to them. No, this is, we're not going to think of who you're going to work for. We're thinking about who's going to come to work for you. And I talk to my daughter and I tell her, yeah, you can go into the public health field and, and do that. But that's only going to be for a couple of years so you can get the experience and learn the land of the law, um, you know, the law of the land. But after that, we're writing a business plan, putting something together to where you're going to be doing your own thing. Because healthcare is going to be an industry that is going to continue to grow and boom, especially as a result of the Affordable Care Act. Which, by the way, now that things have started to get on track, they've gotten over, uh, I think, uh, 2 million people signed up now 
for the Affordable Care Act. And as you've noticed, Republicans are scattering, trying to figure out how to talk about it, what not to talk about. And, and a lot of Republicans now, in fact, I, I think I put one of them up on my website, he's now saying that he's embracing the Affordable Care Act, at least some aspects of it. Why? Because they understand and know, oh, my God, this thing is actually going to work and people are actually going to get health care. Now, I still don't know and can't understand for the life of me why they wanted to stop them from getting health care. Well, politically, I understand. But realistically, I don't understand, especially when your people in your state, like Texas, has the highest uninsured people out there, and yet Governor Rick Perry wants to do nothing for those individuals, will not accept the Medicaid um, expansion, free of charge, mind you. Accept it free of charge where it costs his state nothing. He would rather have his citizens suffer. And I'm trying to understand why the people of Texas keep electing these conservative Republicans who continue to send their state down the drain. Why would they keep having them unemployed, underemployed, uninsured, no insurance, health insurance, and they keep electing these people? I don't get it. At some point in some time, I would think you would get tired of kicking your own self in the behind and decide, you know what, let me take my foot out my own behind and put it on the ground and walk on it, and let me get somebody else in there who's actually going to do something to help me get out of this hole. I don't get it. But they keep electing the same people and the same type of people. It, it, it makes no sense to me. And then you have um, the, 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 the Fox News crew. And I'm sure many of you heard about this, too. Um, the Fox News crew have decided that uh, uh, they're going to make everybody in America white or every historical figure white or every biblical figure white. Jesus is white. Now, Santa Claus, I understand. I don't care because he's fictitious. But help me understand why Megan Good, Blondie, is going to go out, even if it's tongue-in-cheek, as she tried to come back and say, oh, Jesus is white, Santa Claus is white, it's a reality, just accept it. Now, of course, she had to backtrack on that. But here's a little key, Megan. Read the Bible. And with your brown, blonde roots, Help me understand what Caucasian do you know has skin of brass, um, uh, hair of wool, and, you know, um, brown skin, wool hair. Bethlehem, Egyptian, Egypt, uh, the whole region, brown-skinned people. So Megyn Kelly um, realized that, yeah, everybody over at Fox might be white, but Jesus was not white. And you can take your Santa Claus and your St. Nick 
You can make him any color you want to because that's your prerogative. But to go on national TV and to tell the American people as you were trying to discredit or I don't know what you're trying to do in regards to the young lady who wrote the letter and how she was feeling personally and why you even got the letter to even exploit it, I have no idea. But since you did, and since it backfired on you, pick up a Bible and read it. Maybe you'll get some revelations from it. Maybe it might help you too. You change the color of your hair? Maybe, I don't know. Very few blondes are really blonde, but you may be. And for the most part, I don't see you using too many tanning booths, or at least it doesn't come across on TV. So take another gander. Jesus was not white. But you can feel that way for yourself. It's just not possible for the rest of us. So I just want to say thank you all for joining me tonight. I know we had a, a, a long discussion about the minimum wage and food stamps and issues, and but I, I think the, the real point I wanted to get out tonight and the issues I want to get out tonight is let's not continue to be dependent on the services and products that, that we have to help and support us. Let's find a way to encourage our brothers and sisters and the people who need the encouragement to be able to get by and and and, and be able to, you know, do what they need to do. So I want to thank you all tonight. Until next time, we will see you. I look forward to having you join me once again. Take care and have a Merry Christmas. God bless. Thank you for listening to Black Politics Today, an eye for what's at stake in global politics with your host, Kelly Michael Williams. Until next time, follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook.